Father, we praise you. God, we thank you that you are on your throne and that you are worthy to be worshipped. And uh, God, we are here this morning to declare our dependence on you, to acknowledge that you are the one true God that gave up your only Son who lived a sinless life and took all the wrath that we deserved on the cross. We praise you and we worship you and we commit this morning to you. As God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Not Bronco fans, huh? It's not 11 o'clock this morning. Glad you all are here. You know, the, I can't get this... Uh, I hate to digress too early, but I, I hate to get the picture out of my mind of the Johns leading the men's group. But it's three Johns. <laughs> However many it takes, right? You know, we are in a great, great piece of Scripture today. It is going to be a blast. Uh, the Lord has really uh, spoke to me in a big way and has really taught me. And um, I'm praying and I have been praying for each of you that your, your hearts would be soft and, and that you'd leave here being more in love with Jesus and more desiring to follow and surrender to him. And we're going to see today that Abraham or Abram goes from a man that is uh, completely trusting the Lord to a man that has a crisis of faith. And as I was thinking through that, I was thinking of some experiences in my life which are all too frequent, and it wasn't hard to come up with ideas or, or thoughts where, where I've had a crisis of faith. And Nancy and I were talking, and one of them was just recently, and I think I shared a little bit last week, where our home situation, we're paying rent that's about $300 higher than the market. I asked Nancy, I said, "Hun, what are you sensing we should do? Should we just keep paying the higher rent, or should we play hardball with the, with the, with the landlord and say, you know what, either lower the rent or we're, we're moving? And her response was, well, what else is out there? Isn't that a natural response? Well, what else is out there? What other homes are out there for us to live in? And if we talked about it and prayed about it, we determined that's, that's the wrong thing to ask. The right thing to ask is, God, do you want us to stay in this house? Because when we start to operate out of fear and self-protection, we don't hear the Lord's voice. When we want to have the answers before we respond to God, that's not faith. That's sight, isn't it? And we saw last week that, that Abram stepped out in faith, and he walked in faith and not by sight. Another example is uh, after my youngest son Joey was born 17 years ago. And I'm one of those guys, whenever I talk about kids, I get teared up, and there's no reason for it. So just feel sorry for me. <clears throat> not because I have Joey, be, I mean, because I... <laughs> no, you should envy me because I have Joey. But we made a decision, Nancy and I did, that three kids was enough. Three was enough. We had a beautiful daughter, and we had two wonderful sons, and that was it. And so I went and got business taken care of. And what, in that business, that vasectomy business, can I say that word in church? I think I can. That business, that's not a sin. It is not a sin. It's not necessarily disobedience, but it was for us. And the reason it was for us is because we operated out of fear and self-protection and selfishness. There was no other reason other than three was enough, let's move on with life and, and, and get on with it. Another example is when my daughter Natalie, how many of you heard the story about Natalie's engagement? A few of you have. And we don't have time for all of it, but you're going to think lesser of me, I promise, if that's possible. 
my son-in-law, Jared, Natalie and Jared have been married three years. They got married three years ago in July. And when Jared approached me to marry Natalie, Natalie was not at marrying age. Let's just put it that way. So I really got protective, and I got fearful. It's like, you know what? This, this just isn't right. It shouldn't be happening now. So I controlled circumstances in a huge way, even to the point where, where they had no communication with each other for 12 months. None. Now, if you were to ask each of them, the Lord used that engagement in each of their lives in a huge way. It really taught them to trust the Lord and lean on the Lord and not each other. But when I look back on that, I operated out of fear, self-protection, and selfishness because I wasn't ready to let my daughter go. And dads, you know, it's, I don't know when you're ever ready to let your, your daughter go other than when God says it's time. And what we're going to see today is Abram trying to control his circumstances, where he operates out of fear and he operates out of self-protection. And I'm thinking that you're out there going, most of you are probably not out there going, you know, boy, that Hardy, he really does have a hard time with faith. I'm hoping that there's things clicking through your minds going, you know, I didn't operate, I'm not exactly the man or woman of faith that I'd like to be either. There's times when I operate out of fear, self-protection, and out of selfishness. Fear always leads to self-protection. Self-protection always leads to controlling or trying to control our circumstances. And trust is never a part of that equation. So we're going to take a look today and look at chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, if you turn there with me. And if somebody finds it in the Pew Bible, would you uh, re- uh, yell out the page, please? Shane, what page? Nine. Thank you, Shane. Before we get started, though, I want to review a couple things from last week. And it should be up on the slide. Just a couple of principles and facts that are important for the rest of Genesis, and really for the rest of the Bible. There are things that you need to understand. One is, in, in chapter 9, verse 25, if you remember that God, through Noah cursed Canaan. Canaan was was Ham's son, and God cursed him. It's important to remember that Canaan is cursed. It's also important to know in the next verse, verse 26, chapter 9, that it was said that, Blessed be the Lord, God of Shem. Blessed be the Lord, God of Shem. You see, Yahweh, Elohim, that is the God of Shem. And the God of Shem is also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you're going to see these two Families, these two lines colliding over time. It's important to remember that Genesis was written by Moses to who? To the Israelites. It was written by Moses to the Israelites after they left Egypt, after the Exodus, before they arrived in the Promised Land. Okay? Really important to have that in your head as you're reading this. What's the name of the Promised Land? It's Canaan. It's Canaan. Who's it promised to? It's promised to Abram's offspring. Who's Abram's offspring turn out to be? The Israelites. And then I've got a really bad family tree up here. Dean, I needed your software or your help, but... I mean, it's like building blocks. I mean, it's like I couldn't... So Noah had three sons. Get it? See? Shem, Japheth, and Ham. 
All in red? Son, same family, same line? Shem had a son, Arpashad. There were seven more generations after Arpashad that led to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to, to Israel. We, we're not going to see much of Japheth in the rest of Genesis. We're not going to see much of his, of his lineage at all. But we're going to see Ham's lineage, which starts with his son Canaan and Canaan's sons. Those, that, is, that stops right there. Those all become nations, basically, in Canaan. Okay? Can you encourage me with that slide? Thank you very much. I needed that. <laughs> oh, man, liars. Last week, in the first ten verses, we saw that Abram walked by faith and not by sight. He obeyed God's commands without asking questions. He left his family, he left his homeland, he left everything that was familiar to him. Left it all, without questions. Wandered into the land, God told him to leave and go to the land that I will show you. He stepped out in faith, not even knowing where he was going. And when he got there, God said, this is the land. This is the land that I'm going to give you. And Abram worshipped. He worshipped, he moved on, he worshipped. He continued south. And that's where we find out, oh, you know what? There's one other thing I want to go over, and that's the promises of God. In verses 2 through 3 last week, we saw the promises of God, and these are really important. And let's look at those together. God says to Abram, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Great nation, he's going to make them the the nation of Israel. I will bless you and make your name great. This is referring to worldly and material possessions. And by the way, that's God's promise to him. That is not necessarily his promise to you and I. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth earth shall be blessed. This is the most important promise of all of them. Because this is further fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where he tells his serpent that he's going to crush his head, and that crushing is going to come through Eve's descendants, that's going to bring forth the Messiah. So that last promise, in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's further messianic prophecy. Let's take a look together at verse 10. Actually, let's read it all together from verse 10 to verse 20, then we'll go verse by verse. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. There are so many lessons in these verses. And we're going to see encouragement here. You've heard the phrase that 
misery loves company. It is so encouraging to see a man of faith like Abram blow it, honestly, and then to see God's mercy in return. Back up to verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. Sojourn literally means to live as a guest. Abram was not planning on staying there. Abram knew that he was going to be there for a short period of time. This is the first known drought that we see in the Bible in Canaan, but it's not the last one. Canaan is very prone to drought. And God sent him to Egypt, or Abram went to Egypt, because of the Nile. Because of the Nile, there's no drought. There are some commentaries that say that Abram went to Egypt out of disobedience. I don't know if you've ever heard it taught that way or not, that Abram really, that God wanted him to stay in the trial, in the drought, to, to be tested. Because God allows tests in his, our lives, doesn't he? He allows tests in our lives to be conformed in, in, into the image of Christ. But I don't see that. I think that's too much uh, conjecture. I feel like the Lord definitely provided Egypt for Abram to save him, to save his wife, to save Lot, to save Lot's wife, and to save their 138 servants and all their animals. It was God's provision to send him down to Egypt to, to avoid the drought. Verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, Sarah and Abram, when they left Haran, Sarah was about 65 years old, so she's somewhere in her late 60s and still a beautiful woman. I heard one of the commentaries said that it's because she was using oil of delay. I wanted to claim that for myself, but I didn't. In God's promises to Abraham in verses 2 through 3, God said four times, I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. Abraham is now forgetting the promises, and now he's thinking, they will. They will hurt me. They will hurt me. If Abraham was reflecting and remembering the promises of God, think about this. He told Abram that he would be a great nation. And a great nation means that there needs to be some type of offspring to create this nation. Both Sarai and Abram, were, they weren't able to have kids. They had no kids at this time. If Abram would just have remembered the promises of God, he would have never feared he would have never lost faith, and he would never try to start figuring things out on his own. Does that make sense? He totally knew what the promise was. Abram was able to trust the Lord and walk in faith when it came time to leave his homeland. I, mean, I wouldn't have that kind of faith. God said, leave everything. Leave your homeland. And he wandered. He went into Canaan. He came across an area that God said this will be your land, but it was already occupied. And he seemed to continue to walk in faith. He worshipped God along the way. And then he goes into Egypt. And the struggle that he had was knowing that his wife was beautiful and fearful that Pharaoh would take his wife and kill him. We all have areas where it's easy to trust the Lord, don't you? We all have areas where it's easy to trust the Lord. There are certain areas of my life where I can trust the Lord easier than Nancy can. And there's just other areas, usually when it comes to my kids, that I just I have a hard time trusting the Lord, and I'm continually scheming. I'm planning. Do you know what I mean? Well, you know when your mind races? 
you know, you're, you're sitting, I was even preparing for the message and this was happening yesterday. I was just, I was thinking, 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 thinking. Rather than just listening, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Instead of the mind turning and scheming. And that's what Abraham was, something clicked in Abraham's head where he forgot the promises. And he started looking around, looked at his wife, and he had to figure out something to do because surely God couldn't protect him. It has been well said by somebody that the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God will not keep you. And the million-dollar question is, is, I think for most of us, is, is trying to understand when it's the Lord leading or when it's us in our own agenda leading. But aren't there times when we have clarity, when we know it's the Lord, and then he turns up the heat and we start doubting him? We start doubting him. You know, I've got a, a situation like that. When I left my 20-year career, it was a house of cards financially. And I started wondering, God, did you really tell me to leave my career? Did you really tell me to? But the bottom line is he did. He told me to. And sometimes God will tell you to go somewhere because he's got a test for you. It's not always disobedience when we encounter trials or tests. Sometimes he just has lessons for us to learn. Abram moved from trusting to scheming. One of my favorite verses is uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. To trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Lean not on your own understanding. And Abram lost sight of that principle. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And I can't imagine, as I'm looking over here at my dear sister Elisa, and knowing that your little girl is going to be uh, taken and put under, that's a real test of faith, isn't it? Like nothing, no, nothing else when our kids are at jeopardy. But the fear of man lays a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. There's safety in trusting the Lord. And you know, I know there's some of you here today that have backgrounds, that have, there's been abuse. You've got words that still ring in your ear of the way people talk to you, where they talk down to you. Maybe you've been sexually abused. And I don't want to minimize what you've gone through. But I do know that fear is not from the Lord. I understand how some of us fear. It's come from circumstances we've experienced. But fear is not from the Lord. Our Lord is trustworthy. Our Lord is sovereign. Our Lord is on His throne. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every test that is in your life before it even happened to you. Let's look at verse 13. Abram says to Sarai as he's striving, he's trying to figure it out, he's fearful. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life might be, might be spared for your sake. Can you imagine, men? He's selling his wife off. I mean, that's not his intent. 
But he's, he's encouraging his wife to lie. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, but I grew up in Denver, and I grew up skiing at Winter Park, and I grew up going to Elitch's. And at Winter Park, you could get a pass if you were 12 years or under for $2.50. Adults was $4.50. That's old. And at Elitch's, if you were above the little clown, you could ride the roller coaster. And I was always encouraged by my parents, honestly, to lie. Cause it, why? Because it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt anybody. How about copying software? You know what? Bill Gates has got so much stinking money. You think he's going to miss if I, if I copy my Microsoft Office? But God calls us to a higher standard, and the Lord knows our heart. And Abram told a half lie. That's better, isn't it? He told a half lie because we'll see in, in chapter 20, verse 12, that Abram and Sarai really are half brother and sister. They got the same dad, they got different mothers. So when we're in the heat, oftentimes it's easy to justify half lies. I've done it. Half lies. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Take a good look at that word, taken. Abram let them take his wife. I mean, they, they, they took her. He said, no, 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 no. She's really my wife. She, stop. She's my wife. He let them take her. Abram is, is the greatest example that we have in Scripture outside of Jesus. The greatest example we have in Scripture, read Hebrews 11, of a man of faith. And he totally dissed the Lord. He totally forgot about the promises of God. He let his wife go because he was so concerned about the preservation of his own life. He was so so concerned about... about uh, of dying. Now, I think there might have been some uh, good motives there. I think he said, all right, Lord promised me that I'm going to be a great nation. And if they kill me, how am I going to be a great nation? So he thought he needed to help God out a little bit. To help God preserve his life by, by lying. God doesn't need our help. Particularly when it comes to lying and compromising. Verse 16, and for her sake he dealt, he dealt well with Abram. Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abram lied. Abram was scheming and not trusting. He let Pharaoh take his wife. And what did God do? He blessed him. He blessed him. It's just like God, isn't it? This is all about, and I'm so thankful to be able to preach a message like this because just my nature is to whack myself and whack other people. Let's straighten up and let's follow God. And there's consequences for disobedience. And what we're going to see here so clearly is God's mercy. God's mercy and His grace. Abram had the right hunch that... Sarah would gain the notice of the Egyptians. But I don't think he expected them to take his wife, and I don't think he expected to gain more riches. 
And if you think about this, this is really fulfillment, partial fulfillment of one of the, one of the promises that God said he would make him a great name and that he would bless him materially. And when God promises something, there's nothing that can thwart God's plans, including what? Our sin. Amen. Is that freeing or what? There's nothing that can thwart God's plan. We can mess things up on our own life, but there's nothing that can thwart God's plan, including our sin and our ugliness. Just got goosebumps. Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. What kind of plagues? Great plagues. It is said back in one of the promises that God will curse those who dishonor Abram. And we'll see that all throughout the journey of the Israelites. As that, and we saw it in Egypt where the Egyptians and Pharaoh were, were, were cursed. The plague was put on them because they dishonored the descendants of Abram. Abram's lack of faith actually endangered God's plan. Now we know that God's promises can't be thwarted. But really, Abram's sin, Abram's lack of faith, endangered the very plan of God for the coming of the Messiah. Verse 18, So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Can you imagine? We don't know what the great plagues were, but Pharaoh's minding his own business and boils and other stuff that comes from the Nile started happening. Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. We don't know how Pharaoh found out about this. We, we don't know if, 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 if Sari said something, if God said something. All we knew is that Pharaoh figured it out, that the reason that there were great plagues in his kingdom is because he had Abram's wife. And the reason that that really bothered God is that because the coming Messiah... The seed that was going to crush the serpent's head was going to come right through Sari and Abram. And he could not let his plan be thwarted. God's grace and mercy is shown here. What is grace? Grace is, is receiving what we don't deserve. And Abram got to keep all that wealth that Pharaoh gave him, even after Abram lied to him. That's God's grace. God showed his mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And Abram got his life, and he got his wife, and he got all the stuff, and he, and he got to hightail it out of town, and he got to be listed in Hebrews 11. That's more than you and I will ever have. So let's talk about us for a minute. How do you avoid operating in fear and self-protection mode instead of trusting God for the results? How is it that today in America, Windsor, Colorado, that we can operate without fear, without self-protection, and instead trust God for the results? Fear leads to self-protection. Self-protection always leads to scheming to control our circumstances. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
trying to figure things out. Practice this. Trust in God's promises. Trust in his promises. If Abram had just trusted in God's promises, he would have never had the crisis of faith in Egypt. Trust in God's promises. And the only way that you and I are going to know God's promises is how? It's his word. It's his word. You know, we're going to, we're going to sense God leading us certain directions, maybe to, to leave a neighborhood, to leave a state, to leave a job. But I don't know if we could ever see those as God's promises. The only promises that we have are God's word. So trust in God's promises. Release any agendas. Release any agendas. I can say, God, I believe that you are trustworthy. I believe that what it says in, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that if to trust in you with all my heart, to lean not on my own understanding, to acknowledge you in all of my ways, and you'll make my path straight. But God, would you really, would you show me what I should do with, with my finances? And show me if I should move. I'm holding my house like this. God, show me if I should move. I'll, I'll, I'll do, well, I really don't want to move, but just show me. God is not going to work when we have an agenda. He's not going to work in our lives when we have an agenda. So trust in God's promises, which are His Word. Release any agendas. Pray. Pray. And when you pray, listen. Because He is going to, He's going to answer. And when He answers, obey. Just a couple of closing scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Can his word be trusted? It's the very breath of God. It's the very breath of God. Psalm 119, it says that your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. And Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. There's a lot to fear. If we just let our minds go, there's a lot to fear. There's a lot to fear when you think about the government. There's a lot to fear when you think about things like Al-Qaeda. There's a lot to think when you realize what you're capable of. There's a lot to fear when you, when you understand that you're getting way more than you deserve. But God says, when fear creeps in, He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. He says, I'm in control. Don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to me. When fear creeps in, pray. Here's the promise. God's Word is full of promises. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you don't have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it's because you've got fear in your life and you're not trusting the Lord. In our agenda, let's just talk about that just for a minute. We need to release our agenda. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. I, I hear, and, and I, I think you've heard me say this from up front before, but I've heard people say, and I have some dear friends that are trying to adopt some kids right now that aren't in this body. And they said, Dan, wouldn't the Lord give me the desire of my heart? The desire of my heart is to adopt. Wouldn't the Lord give that to me? That's, that's scripture, isn't it? The Lord gives us the desire of our heart. 
We miss something, though. We miss it. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. In the next part of that verse that, honestly, I don't remember reading before, it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. If you throw that last slide up there, how does God respond when I operate out of fear and self-protection? It's inevitable, isn't it? I mean, it says in Romans that we're not to continue sinning so that grace may abound forevermore. We're, we're not to continue sinning just, just because we know we're covered by grace. But there is grace when we blow it. And how does God respond when I operate out of fear and self-protection? Man's way, as we already looked at, is to fear, self-protect, scheme to try to control our circumstances. That's man's way. God's response, and I'm so thankful for God's response. God's response is, He is merciful, He is gracious, He is slow to anger, and He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, Christian, we spend so much time, I spend so much time, God, God demands obedience. He commands obedience. But if you are His, we should operate in grace as well. That He's the God of second chances. He's the God of forgiveness. That's why He sent Jesus. If you didn't blow it, you wouldn't need Jesus. And then God's design is that we trust in His promises. We release our agendas. We pray. We listen. And we obey. Let's pray. Father, we praise You. God, You are so good. Thank You for this passage. Thank you, God, that you are gracious, that you are loving. You're slow to anger, you're compassionate. And Father, I pray that you would um, continue to be patient with us, Lord, as we have maybe have areas in our lives that we haven't completely surrendered to you, that we have hurts that cause fear. And Lord, you tell us in Second Corinthians when there's trials. And it's oftentimes trials that are a breeding ground for fear. You tell us that, that your grace is sufficient for us. And that your strength is perfected in our weakness. And God, I'm so glad that and thankful that you've made me weak. Lord, so that I could see your strength in me. Lord Jesus, we thank that you laid your life down for us. We thank you that because of your sacrifice, because of the shed blood of Jesus, and because we have put our faith and trust in that, in you, and that you rose again from the dead, that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Never leave us nor forsake us. And we bless you and praise you and ask God that you would just continue to have your way with us. Show us areas where I'm fearing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.